0: Okay, so we might make a start. So you're all very welcome to our Irish study seminar this afternoon, which emerges really from research undertaken by the Contemporary Irish Music Centre on gender balance and publicly funded composer opportunities. Which in turn is grounded in much wider questions and issues and conversations to do with gender balance and music making and the arts in Ireland. So, first off, quick thanks to the Moore Institute for co-hosting and facilitating uh, certainly the technical aspects of, of the uh, seminar. To introduce myself, my name is Verena Commons. I'm a lecturer here in the Centre for Irish Studies in NUI Galway. And it's my great pleasure then to welcome two guest speakers and two respondents today. So, I don't want to waste, uh, I don't want to take up valuable time by giving very long introductions. So, just very briefly, uh, really mentioning current research. I'd like to firstly welcome dr laura watson who is an associate professor of music in maynooth uh, and current projects then that she's working on center on women feminism and music which includes the forthcoming co-edited book women and music in ireland and laura is a co-founder and member of the sounding the feminists working group and i'm sure that work will be uh, will come up today during the course of the sem- seminar uh, as well as being an international research collaborator on the AHRC funded women and musical leadership online network. Uh, following Laura then, Dr Michael Leiden of this parish is a lecturer in popular music studies and gender and Irish music then here in the Center for Irish Studies and he's also then a research associate for the Contemporary Music Centre and Sounding the Feminists. So before I hand you, hand you over then to our two speakers, I'm delighted to welcome two guest respondents today. So we have Roisin Maher, who is a, a PhD candidate at DCU, whose research uh, in her PhD examines the representation of women composers on undergraduate music history programmes in Ireland. She's also a lecturer at the Cork School of Music, and she's also taught at Trinity and Mary I and the National College of Ireland. And she's the co-founder and artistic director of Finding a Voice, a concert series that showcases and celebrates music by women composers. And we also have Dr Aileen Delan as guest respondent. Then Aileen is an ethnomusicologist and senior lecturer at the Irish World Academy in the University of Limerick. She's currently co-director of the Centre for the Study of Popular Music and Popular Culture, and she's the PI on the HERA funded project Festiversities, Music Festivals, Public Space and Cultural Diversity. And Aileen and Roshin then will be responding to to some of the themes and issues addressed by Michael and Laura. We'll then open it up at the end for any questions or comments that anybody here in the audience might have. And just if you use the Q&A function then rather than the uh, chat function for that. So the short version of the title is an uneven score. And uh, at that point, I'd like to hand it over then to yourself, Laura, Dr. Laura Watson. Thank you.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for that introduction, Verena. So I'm going to share some slides with you all. Okay, I um, trust that everybody can see these slides. Um, Perhaps if somebody could just (laughs) let them say yes or no. Yes. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. So uh, I was delighted to be uh, invited to um, take part in this seminar today. And uh, the purpose of my presentation is really just to give a short introduction and some background to Sounding the Feminists, which will then help to contextualize uh, the work that um, Michael is doing and which he's going to talk about. So I've been involved with Sounding the Feminists um, kind of from the earliest days. So I just thought I'd share some light on how we got to where we are. So, um, as I'm sure everybody at this um, seminar will know, um, the, I suppose, the, one of the, the bigger contexts for sounding the Feminists is the work of Waking the Feminists. And Waking the Feminists originated in response to this program, which was announced um, for the Abbey Theatre in Dublin. Uh, it was there, um way of commemorating 1916, the centenary, so they announced a program for their 2016 season, which was to be called Waking the Nation. Now, um, the response to this um, was not entirely positive. Um, As I'm sure we all know, there was a a huge response from a group of women and allies, um, and that became known as So the Waking the Feminists were responding to the serious gender imbalance in the Waking the Nation programme and uh, I think one of the lasting legacies of Waking the Feminists was the research they did which began in 2016 and was published in 2017 and that was the Gender Counts uh, Audit of, as you can see here, Gender in Irish Theatre from 2006 and um, to uh, 2015. So uh, this was the, the kind of environment in 2016. So the Abbey Theatre wasn't the only cultural institution that wanted to mark the centenary of the rising. In uh, the National Concert Hall, there was a season, well, just a kind of a monthly, fe- a month long festival announced for September, 2016. And this was called Composing the Island um, where the idea was to um, celebrate a century of art music in Ireland. Now, this was announced several months after um, the Waking the, the Nation debate. So it was kind of surprising to see that some of the same um, problems that had arisen with naked, Waking the Nation turned up again in composing the island. So here's an example of some of the critical response to composing the island. So Michael Jervin in the Irish Times pointed out that this festival uh, neglected women and living composers under the age of 30. Another writer in the online um, Trinity News 2 magazine, Dara Kelly, pointed out um, that Irish composers, notably Siobhan Cleary, had criticized the serious gender imbalance in the festival. So, uh, as Darrell Kelly also notes here, a group of composers began kind of uh, sort of organically forming under this banner of composing the feminists. So uh, we went from composing the feminists to um, sounding the feminists, I guess within the space of about six or seven months. So a timeline of what happened puts us starting in June, 2016 when the composer Jane D. C. organized an event in Dublin where the idea was to kind of hold a public town hall meeting discussing the lack of um, women composers in the NCH centenary programme. Then several months later, there was a meeting of composers, performers, musicologists, administrators and so on at the Contemporary Music Centre. I attended that meeting in February 2017, and it was at that meeting where the name Sounding the Feminists was agreed. A couple of months after that meeting, there was another meeting in April again at the CMC, I was also at that meeting, and it was agreed uh, that a working group for Sounding the Feminists would be established, that working group was elected, Um, I was um, one of the people elected on that working group, and this was uh, the original working group, you can see the five people since then. Dr. Jenny O'Connor Madsen and Dr. Amanda Feary kind of stepped back uh, because of other commitments. So the current working group uh, remains uh, Dr. Karen Power, who's the chair, Dr. Anne Clear, and myself. So, what we did, uh, the working group, well, we set up a website, we put together a mission statement, which you can have a look at yourselves in your own time. And I would say then, um, since 2017, I'd say there are a few main actions that we've done. Um, I summarized them here, uh, so I thought I would just sort of quickly uh, run through those. So the first thing we did was establish partnerships with relevant organizations. Um, The main one was with the National Concert Hall. So on the eve of International Women's Day in 2018, a five-year partnership initiative was announced. And you can see that's, a photo of Karen talking at the event and I would say two of the main things that arose out of that partnership Um, one was uh, an annual chamber series which well it ran in for two years and then the pandemic interrupted things so you can see um here are some of the the um advertisements for a couple of concerts. So each chamber series featured six concerts, and the repertoire in the chamber series was predominantly focused on music composed by women. And the repertoire ranged historically from um, the 17th century up to the present day. And it's found composers from Ireland to the broader Western European and um, uh, generally Western art music tradition. It also featured some composers from uh, Asia too. Uh, the other main thing to happen in the National Concert Hall and Sounding the Feminist Partnership was a commissioning scheme. And we were delighted that this kind of scheme was able to materially support uh, with composers who are working um, from, you know, in Ireland today and Irish composers who may be based abroad. So the commissioning scheme, to show you, the the winners of the inaugural year, um, the winners were Jennifer Walsh and Claudia Schwab. So we had two categories there in that year. It was the established composer category and the emerging composer. Um, In the most recent round um, of the commissioning scheme, we had uh, more awards. And this was because the um, chamber series wasn't running. So we were able to support um, the kind of creative work a bit more. So again, we were delighted to support all of the artists mentioned here: Aina Brennan, Amelia Clarkson, Finola Merivale, and Wyburn Lingo. So we've also set up partnerships um, with organisations beyond the National Concert Hall. Um, just some of them mentioned here. Something else we did um, again in partnership with Dundalk and. Technology. We co-hosted a symposium that was in November 2018 and we were delighted to have uh, Dr Aileen Delan as our keynote speaker there. One of the things I think we uh, liked about the symposium is that it brought together not just academics, but also activists, um, artists and music industry workers. Something else we did in 2019 um, was to organize a series of workshops, which was intended to enhance opportunities for professional development, um, for networking, to get tips on things like um, grant writing, um, making connections um, you know, with uh, media and so on. And this um, series of workshops was generously sponsored by IMRO. Something else we did, which of course Mike will be talking more about, is we got made a start on um, the gender research we wanted to do. Um, Something else uh, which we did too and again this kind of arose out of conversations which were going on with different organizations is we were involved uh, in consultancy for when the Arts Council of Ireland were developing a new equality human rights and diversity policy and strategy and you can see that the policy and strategy published in 2019 um, mentioned Sounding the Feminists, along with, of course, uh, Waking the Feminists and Fair Play. Uh, then this is an example of our kind of international um, connections we're we're increasingly making. So uh, I'm a research collaborator on this network, which is um, based in the UK and it's funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council in the UK. Um, and as part of this network, we've hosted some Workshops, we have more coming up. And at the most recent workshop, uh, Karen Power was one of the guest speakers. So uh, we're trying to reach a wider community with this kind of work. Um, I thought I would sum up here what I see myself um, as, you know, kind of looking at it from the inside as what I see as being the impact of sounding the feminist so far. So I would say that, you know, we have um, seen some. We've influenced uh, through the Arts Council policy, perhaps the development of um, the kind of national equality and diversity strategy in the arts. I think we've increased mainstream media and public awareness about gender inequalities in Ireland's music world. Um, We have been able to support the creation and performance of new internationally acclaimed works by artists such as Jennifer Walsh. Um, We've also seen some evidence of increased consideration of gender issues in concert programming. And we've also begun to develop new research on music and gender in Ireland through the CMC hosted project. So I think that's everything I want to say. So thank you very much for listening. And I am delighted now to hand over to Mike Lydon.
2: Um, Many thanks, Laura. I'm just going to share my slides in a moment as well. Uh, I just want to uh, thank uh, Aileen and Rosine for uh, for agreeing to uh, be respondents today, and to Laura as well for um, uh, initially the uh, this seminar began with um, an invitation myself to give a research uh, to to present the research I'm working on. But I thought it would be uh, very helpful for Laura, which it was, to give a context of Sound the feminists. Uh, so thank you very much, Laura, for. Um, agreeing to that. So it's gonna one second, I'll share my slides. Um, I presume everybody can see this okay. Um, so again, yeah, thank you very much to uh, Roshi and Aileen. I look forward to your input in a few moments. Uh, I'd like to just acknowledge as well, uh, the work of the Contemporary uh, Music Center in, uh, uh, for their um, uh, funding of the projects, part of uh, through the Arts Council's uh, strategic funding, of, uh, which I'll discuss in a bit of detail in a few moments. Time. Uh, what I'm looking to discuss, really, as part of uh, the research project I'm currently working on, is really to break it down into the two phases. Uh, first, so that the first phase and the second phase uh, of the research, where we're initially calling uh, uneven score. I'm going to look initially at the time scale of the research as it pertains to phase one, the methodology from phase one, uh, challenges and dissemination of the research. Uh, phase one began in uh, 2019. was carried uh, out um, successfully uh, by Dr. Kira Murphy, who is a postgraduate researcher currently uh, based at NUI Galway. Uh, Kira was uh, heavily involved in uh, waking the feminists, uh, the, which Laura spoke of a few moments ago, and she was. Uh, uh, she she made significant contributions to the gender counts publication that became part of that. And uh, as part of the work she did as part of phase one, she uh, published a, a scoping project report. Uh, I don't want to go into huge amount of details of that aspect today because I don't want to um, speak of somebody else's work. So I'm just going to put that details of uh, the scoping the project report in the chat. So if anybody wants to get it, the, the, it was published on the CMC's website on the first of March. And that details are, are published in chat here as well. Uh, I'm just going to briefly outline uh, Kira's work, and again, I just want to actually acknowledge Kira's um, support for my beginning of phase two of the project, and uh, thank Kira publicly uh, for um, for all her her, her help in, in in transitioning over to the role. Uh, I want to speak about briefly about Kira's methodology, some of the definitions that she spoke about, uh, significantly some of the challenges uncovered, because these same challenges are. Are, are becoming relevant uh, throughout the project and also some of the proposed uh, project outcomes and recommendations. Uh, this is just a, a brief screenshot of uh, the announcement and as I said that's in the uh, chat if you want to share that uh, and, and, and look into the details. Uh, I should acknowledge firstly in the methodology that was outlined and I won't read all these points but just highlight in particular that the original uh, the original years of the project was a 30 year project from 1988 to 2018. Those of you who uh, have who are here will will recognize that the project is now a 15 year project from 2004 to 2019. So uh, the decision was made at the beginning of um, the announcement of the second phase of the research to go to a 15 year project based upon some of the evidence that Kira uh, uh, uncovered as part of, uh, phase one and really particularly relating to some of the challenges um, that uh, came about. I won't speak about too much about the methodology here because the methodology I'll speak about it, uh, as part of phase two in a bit more detail. Uh, crucially, at the outset of the project, Kira uh, and work she was doing with the project's uh, advisory panel uh, really looked to uh, outline some of the key definitions of the project. So briefly, I'll, I'll, I'll just highlight these. So uh, gender, the study recognize gender not as a fixed biological binary but as fluid and self uh, definition identification uh, i won't read all that but uh, composition again it's important to get the definitions uh, at the early stage of the project correct so the uh, uh, composition this project is concerned with analyzing contemporary western art composition which we define as um original piece of work and music either vocal or instrumental the structure of a musical piece or the process of creating or writing a new piece of music and of course, uh, a composer, uh, people who create a new compositions in line with definitions above. Uh, some of the challenges, I want to spend a moment just speaking about the challenges that Kira outlined because they're still uh, very relevant as part of my uh, phase of the project. So the acquisition of data is really the key stumbling box so far. Um, much of this pertains to really a lack of records. Uh, this is something that is, well, it's been acknowledged in Kira's the project and something that I'm finding almost um really it's 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 becoming a bit of a stumbling block in certain sectors of the research which which i'll talk in more detail as uh, i go into phase two uh another aspect issue for that she highlights in the report is uh when gender counts uh, and uh was published there was the same level of data protection that we we recognize the gdpr wasn't um institution uh, wasn't wasn't uh, there so um, that's becoming a bit of a stumbling block as well that enough um, when Kira initially um, were contacting some organizations um, she was met with um, a GDPR uh, blocking releasing certain information uh, the number of, she also highlights and something and if you are interested in this I'd recommend looking at the section of the report where she mentions uh, sending in a freedom of information request to Wexford uh, County Council um, really uh, trying to acquire uh the information and, and and be met with the unfortunate realization that even with the freedom of information that the information wasn't forthcoming because it just wasn't found so the lack of records uh staff changes is also a significant factor in this that there seems to be particularly within local uh, arts officers uh, local councils um there seems to been um you know when which with, with staff changes over the years that seems to um have brought whole new filing systems and whole new projects and different ways of doing it. So I'll speak about this in a bit more detail as I speak on my own project, but I just want to highlight some of uh, the concerns that Kira raised initially. Um, at the end of the project, Ciara also uh, highlighted some of the project's uh, outcomes and recommendations. Uh, again, I won't speak in too much detail about these, but I just want to highlight really what The ultimate goal is, and which we're looking to uh, address, I'll address in a few moments. Time is really the publication of data and research material uh, emerging from the research project. So, a publication that will be available, uh, hopefully, towards the end of or middle of September, Uh, and ultimately that will hopefully develop uh, an updated guidelines um, uh, for you know commissioning for program uh, for commissioning and program strategy, and also for fees. which will be uh, done in collaboration with CMC and the Association of Irish uh, Composers. Um, to move on to my uh, part of the research, so phase two, I was gonna briefly talk about the timescale of the project, the methodology, and some of the dissemination of the research so far. So I began um, my um, my work, I should actually mention, um, just because Laura mentioned a few moments ago, uh, my interest in selling the feminist as an organization and the important research being done um, by uh, Laura and Ann and, and, and Karen, uh, what it began when I uh, presented a, a paper at uh, Standing the uh, Feminist Symposium in Dundalk, and I was very uh, very um, taken back by day by taken back that day by some of the uh, really the excellent work being done by Selling the Feminists and from from uh, many of the participants that day. So. Um, so when the position became available is something I was quite excited to be involved in. So um, I, was, uh, I was very pleased to begin the project in December of uh, 2021. Uh, at that point, I looked to uh, initiate a kind of a, a three step process to um, the um, to the project. So when it began in December, i will speak about these in a bit more detail, but uh, I should just outline this stage. I'm hoping for completion of the project in September of 2022. Um, the first phase of the research, sorry, the first step in my phase two of the research, really would have began with uh, looking over the, the, the work that Kira did and working closely with Kira about some of the challenges, discussing some of the challenges that she um, uh, came across. Again, throughout all of this, um, I worked very closely with uh, uh, Yvonne Ferguson, who's the director of CMC and with uh, Anne-Marie Hughes, who is the um, library coordinator uh, at at CMC, the Contemporary Music Centre in Dublin, who have, from the very outset, uh, have been very forthcoming uh, with their time and and, and help. Um, But with them, from the very beginning, it was looking over the the report and trying to get a methodology in place, which I'll speak about in a few moments. Uh, One of the initial... uh, steps I took really to the project was establish pertinent individual funding awards that were assigned by the Arts Council of Ireland, the ACI, and the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, ACNI, from 2004 to 2019. Um, I'll speak about all these points briefly and I'll expand on them in a few moments time, okay, but uh, then it was a look to create a list of uh, ACI organizations uh, data set from 2004 to 2019, and again create an ACI, um, ACNI organization data set from 2004 to 2019. Uh, and then, towards the latter part of that stage, which would have been a, a February of this year, it was, um, I, I looked to consider various different software to processing the data and so on, which I'll, I'll speak about in a moment. Uh, this is the current stage of the research uh, which I'm on right now, and I suppose the most important one to speak of here would be um, the first points so are to create a comprehensive data set of commissions based on CMC library. Um, one thing that obviously drawing from the research that was done by Kira, it, it was the record of a lack of uh, the recognition of the lack of records was going to be a significant stumbling block. So. It became very clear for me at the very, the very beginning that the, the CMC library uh, had the most um, up-to-date records of commissions during the 15 year time period that, that, um, that I've been look at, that I'm looking at currently. Uh, so working closely with uh, and reuse, it was, uh, I have been working on creating this year by year list of, um, Commissions, uh, which I'll speak about in a bit of detail, but that's been the most, one of the most, I suppose, time-consuming aspects of the research, but uh, it'll be one of the kind of, it's, it's where the foundation of the research will, um, uh, is, is beginning, and again, I can speak about this in a few minutes time again, and the second point here, so based on ACNI uh, sorry, ACI funding and advice from the project's Advisory Board, I'm also creating a list of commissioning organisations, Uh, Using the CMC library data set, create a template uh, to send commissioning organizations, I'll speak about this in a few moments too as well, Uh, and then cross reference commissions um, with no listed uh, commissioner with ACI and ACI data set. This will make sense when I get to the next slide. So this is just a brief indication of what I mean when I talk about create a comprehensive data set of commissions based on CMC library. Uh, so you can see here, this is a list uh, going from, it's it's 2004 to 2019, I'm currently at two year uh, just beginning 2016 uh, of this list at the moment and every year it's, uh, I'm coming across around 100, 120 to 160 roughly uh, commissions that are listed as part of and the CMC's uh, library. This is the CMC library is uh, ultimately based on uh, listed um, composers who were registered with um, CMC. Um, so you can see just as a brief outline of some of the details that I'm uh, I'm taking from 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 the data. Uh, we have composer. Obviously, the gender of uh, the composer uh, is highlighted nationality, title of work, instrumentation and performers are key uh, really for stage three of the project which will be ultimately uh, assessing the scale of the various different uh, uh, commissions. Uh, Duration is a key uh, aspect again so you can see uh, I've separated the Uh, the duration uh, by gender um, with with men and women uh, put in some categories again to to, to correlate all this together at the end and to get um, uh, an accurate reflection uh, of of the duration across gender. You can see uh, the commissioner, a number of them, if there isn't a listed commissioner, um, but it has a premier in the year um, of the commission, uh, it's I'm including it because I'm looking to cross-reference that ultimately with um, with the ACI and the ACNI uh, individual data um, funding as well. So I'll speak about this in a few moments time, but just the reason that there's some um, empty uh, spaces within the Commissioner practice there is because I'm hoping to, by assessing uh, these other funding um, Uh, streams, uh, publicly funded streams, that will ultimately fill in these blanks uh, uh, along the way. Uh, As you can see, you can see on uh, number five here, there's a commission from the Arts Council of Ireland. Um, Lyric FM is represented, say uh, Jenny Walter, number six. um, uh, um, You know, John Kinsella, RTE for the the, um, National Symphony Orchestra. So, so, uh, you know, there's various different commissioning bodies across uh, that i'm finding so i say music network down on number 15. um and these are all listed too with the premieres in in place as well i should make a a little point about the notes at the end um so a number of these i have to add information based on information i can't find on the cmc's uh website so you can see say for example uh number 13 in wilson's um Ian Wilson's Eyeless uh, Upon a Dark River, I had to find the duration from Ian Wilson's website. So if if I'm, if I'm any information I'm not finding, I'm updating that in the notes section so then that can ultimately update the CMC uh, database uh, when we're done. The reason this is done and going back to the previous slide is I'm using the CMC library dataset to create a template, sorry, um, yeah, to create a template to ultimately send on to commissioning organizations. The reason this has been done, and I get to this file right now, is again we're looking to engage as much as possible with uh, the various different organisations, uh, 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 whether it be you know the Arts Council, whether it be RTÉ, Lyric FM, RTÉ Music Generation, uh, local arts offices, with the hope that if we provide them the information that we're finding uh, from. Um, from the CMC's uh, a library that we can ultimately present that to them and say this is what we have and we think that you have dubbed it that say, RT Lyric FM has commissioned over the last 15 years can you confirm whether this is true or not and fill in the blanks uh, and we're hoping by by adopting that strategy um, we get a, a greater level of engagement again going back to Kira's some of the issues that Kira highlighted in scoping the project and some of the issues that I found so far is um, I suppose I suppose a failure are well, I mean, really, a lot of these organizations are really struggling with uh, with getting people to do this work and, and and with their own time restraints and with their own um, uh, issues. So really, I don't want them to um, feel I'm conscious of time here. Uh, I don't want them to feel that they've been pressure uh, um, uh, being put under too much pressure to really give some uh, some information over. So by providing them with this information at hand, uh, I hope it'll make it easier for them. So uh, just to go back and see this list here. So this is what we're going to send. And I'll use Lyric FM uh, as an example because Lyric is listed twice here within uh, uh, the CMC's uh, library data set. So you can see there is a listing under uh, Jenny Walch's is listed and there's also a listing uh under david burns as well so with the idea being that every commission i find per year will go in this list and then be sent on to the various different organizations so in this case lyric fm uh, there's some categories here that weren't listed in the previous commission um, so you can see here that i've added a non-binary uh gender uh, section as of now i haven't find found any uh any person who who identifies as non-binary so the, for that reason it's not included within uh this uh, uh this excel sheet but in this one i'm including in the cases any composers that are listed by the uh, various organizations that does uh, uh, identify as non-binary so that can be included there uh you can see year of commission is key fees is the crucial one um we're i'm currently um currently really getting the wording together right when we approach the various different organizations with this details, to assure the individual composers and the various different organizations that the individual funding information will not be made available at any point um, during the research in um, uh, to the public, it will be information that will be ultimately um, put together in a, in a, in a larger uh, data set, um, so that's something that we're trying to, that I'm working at the moment to to assure the various different partners that we're working with, that that, that uh, important information will not be, um, um, because I, it's also for for the sake of the project, I'm, af- I'm afraid that that aspect of the fees could be a major stumbling block. Uh, you can see with additional funding, um, as we're as we're aware, or as I've become aware throughout the research, that a number of uh, collaborate uh, funding processes happens throughout, so for example music generation who I'm working with at the moment music generation will often work quite closely say with music network, um, Dublin, or, sorry music network or various local uh, arts offices, so it's just to, to give that different uh, section there. Uh, it's important think, to ascertain whether it's a direct invitation or a call for submission, so you can see that's listed on the uh, title of the work. Uh, whether it's a you know the performer or, or ensembles involved, instrumentation again that's important to ascertain the scale of um, the commission and duration and premiere date. Uh, and again, there's a a point here and notes at the end so that it can be um, so that any details that aren't included here that can be brought in um, brought to my uh, uh, information. As I mentioned a few moments ago, some relation to the the commissioners that aren't listed. So if we just say, for example, um, you know, Greg Caffrey, number two, so uh, we can see that Greg Caffrey doesn't have a commissioner there. But I'm looking to just cross reference that with the Arts Council of Ireland and the Arts Council of Northern Ireland individual funding awards. So that would be the bursary awards from 2004 to 2019, travel and training 2004 to 2019, sorry 2014 to 2019 music commissions 2012 to 2019, uh, next generation music press I won't list them all, but I'm looking to really see whether any public funding from this stream um, could have ultimately uh, resulted in these commissions happening. Uh, so that's what I'm, I'm looking at there uh, as well. You can see as well that these uh, awards uh, often change over time so you know the names of them change and various different uh, other aspects so this is just a, a brief overview of some of the individual funding awards that uh, I have ready this data is already ready to go so I'm currently in the process of cross-checking that with this um, data set as well um, at the moment I'm also uh, in the process of looking at the uh, organizational uh, funding awards um so that would be say the annual funding regularly funding strategic funding uh, projects award uh festival and uh event scheme uh, this is quite a small revenue stream uh compared to say some of the larger funding streams like say the annual funding or this or, or the strategic funding roughly on average around uh, 10 000 to 15 thousand um, uh awards given to various different festivals. But I want to include uh, festivals and um, uh, events because from from what, was, from what was discovered during gender counts, it, it became apparent that uh, organisations with less funding were had a greater degree of gender balance. So I'm, I'm interested to see if that also uh, is something that correlates with, uh, with this current research as well. Um, and that's something that, you know, perhaps uh, we can speak speak about in a more detail. Um, I'd love to get uh, Roisin's uh, input on this in a few moments as well. Um, and some other aspects here, uh, touring and dissemination of work scheme, festivals and events scheme, opera production awards and opera commissions uh, are also uh, significant funding uh, streams coming through. Again, with this funding of the various different um, organizational uh, ACI organization funding awards, it's ultimately feeds into organizations like you know Irish Chamber Orchestra, Irish National Orchestra, Crash Ensemble, uh, Hard Rain is obviously funded uh, by the ACNI uh, but again it's looking at uh, the very different ensembles whether it be Crash, Hard Rain, uh, Concord, um, looking at Music Network, um, going Music Residency although it receives significantly less funding than say um, the, the Irish National Opera, it, again, it's looking towards these different tiers of uh, funding. Um, so that will be in a sort of middle bracket, if you will, uh, in the same way with something like the Loud Contemporary Music, New Ross Piano Festival, Waterford New Music and so on. And really, ultimately, these are the organisations that I'll be sending this um, uh, list to in a couple of uh, in, in the coming days, with hope that they can uh, fill in the details that I'm um, Uh, That we don't have to um, uh, to ultimately feed into the the end work. Uh, Again, there's obviously a number of publicly funded opportunities outside of the Arts Council of Northern uh, uh, ACI and ACNI. So, whether that be RTE, RTE Lyric FM, uh, the National Concert Hall, of course, uh, a key partner, Sound the Feminists, Um, Music Generation. uh, I should acknowledge actually, Music Generation have been one of the first organizations to um, really. Uh, be heavily involved and be um, uh, really sending the information um, that's that's required. So I, I would like to thank uh, publicly Music Generation for their uh, for their support, uh, the Association of Local Arts Officers. Um, initially, we began by looking at various different uh, local local authority arts offices around the country. This is something that Kira mentioned in scoping the project. So she uh, contacted Galway's uh, local arts officer and Wexford local arts officer. Um, I, I, I wanted to try and broaden that into a more national uh, scale um, and include that as part of the Percent for Art scheme. Um, according, it's knowing the score, a uh, publication a number of years ago by um, uh, Alva uh, Kenny, really lists the Percent for Arts scheme as a key. Um, Way forward uh, revenue stream for um, for composers. So I wanted to echo that within the research as well. Uh, of course, this is a across Ireland um, uh, uh, an all Ireland uh, research. So we're looking at towards BBC Radio Three. A, a number of listings I came across so far in this original data set lists BBC Radio Three um, funded uh, funding the uh, Ulster Orchestra. Looking at the ACNI annual funding for groups like Moving On Music and uh, ACNI project lottery funding. So there's, there's a number of different avenues that I'm currently um, looking to send the data to uh, within, within the coming days. And which brings then I suppose to the next aspect of uh, the research which is I suppose you know the qualitative assessment and that's when we go into the details of the scale of the commission. Uh, again going back to these ideas of instrumentation, performers, uh premier uh, venues all these things will 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 tie into this reading of the scale commission uh the social and political context of the commission uh you know just in terms of the various different years you know obviously we're dealing a, a, a point uh sort of transition over from um celtic tiger to austerity ireland and and, and so on so bringing that sort of um uh, political economic context into the work as well uh, we want to also ascertain if possible whether or not the commissions were uh, went down to be uh, repeat performances. Um, this is something that I'll be looking to achieve by going over the CMC's events page and really just finding whether or not um, there is a sort of a a, you know, a secondary life for um, uh, a, a continual life for these commissions I suppose. Uh, Compose and repeat commissions I think is key again a uh, key as well this will be something that will be very much part of the end process. Um, really it's it's to see you know whether or not uh the gender representation uh is is skewed uh, whether or not it is the same women or the same men getting the same commissions year on year and whether there's uh, uh, there's variety in that uh we're also at the stage of the process where a number of the feedback i've received so far um this is feedback i received from um, from the board and also um from very from a number of composers who 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 I've been in contact with, they've uh, suggested maybe looking towards aspects of ethnicity and class. Uh, that's something that I'm open to doing, but um, there is you know time constraints uh, unfortunately here. But personally I'm I'm going to bring in uh, at, at some point. Uh, ultimately, then this will all feed into um, you know commissioning a program strategy publication uh, in September of this year. The dissemination of the research, um, events like this and uh, thank you very much to to Nessa Cronin for the invitation to give this seminar today because it's it's a crucial part of where the project is right now that we want to make people aware of the stage, uh, about where we are, about what, um, uh, you know, the final result, when it's going to be um, um, forthcoming. Um, So really, I'm trying to get as much of this, uh, you know, disseminate the uh, the research as much as possible uh, over the coming months. Uh, I'll be hopefully speaking at the SMI conference uh, in um, June of this year. Culture night is a question mark there because culture night may ultimately be um, an opportune time to present uh, the the final reports. That's something that uh, um, we're currently looking into at the moment as well it's really it's 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 so important as i said at the moment to really to uh, to engage the community as much as possible so um, if anyone who's who, who who wants to share this in any way whatsoever if anybody who's uh, who's watching this and wants to contact me please feel free to email me and i'd be happy to speak to uh, anybody about the research particularly any 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 composers um, i think it's important to engage within uh, with the community as much as possible uh, I would also like to acknowledge as well uh, the ongoing support of the Arts Council uh, of Ireland, and particularly Niall Doyle, who is the Head of Music and Opera. Uh, Niall has been very, very forthcoming with his time and uh, getting information to me uh, as, as quick as possible. And I would like to acknowledge uh, his continued support and uh, obviously the funding, uh, which is uh, obviously a huge part of it as well, so um, thank you very much. I also just want to thank the, uh, the project's advisory board uh, Laura, um, uh, Laura, Anne, uh, um, Yvonne and Ivan uh, and Marie from uh, Contemporary Music Centre, and also um, uh, Seamus Gribbins, um, uh, Brenda Donoghue, uh, who was involved with the gender counts, and uh, Dr. Anne- Dr. Uh, Annie Mantag from uh, she currently based in Oslo. Um, so I just want to thank them as well for their input. Um, that's it. I don't want to take any more of your time, and I, uh, I'm conscious of the time, and I am really looking forward to getting the input from, from Aileen and so um, roshan So thank you very much.
0: Great, Michael, thank you so much. And uh, thank you to Laura for the for the context and background there at the beginning, and to Michael for the just really highlighting the, the complexities and and the challenges in actually in even, you know, finding the information, uh, let alone actually setting up um, some kind of database that can actually capture it and do something useful with it. So. We'll move straight on to our uh, two guest respondents, so I'd like to hand it over to Aileen, Dr Aileen Deland to begin with.
3: Um, thank you, Verena. Uh, hello, everybody. Um, first, I'd like to thank um, Mike for that presentation and that overview of what is a very complex and really important project and uh, It's very welcome actually to be generating this data and also to congratulate Laura and all of the team on sounding the feminists for their um, stellar work. Uh, I think it's very opposite that we are together today on uh, international transgender visibility day and also in the weekend prior to the taking of the Irish census in which there is no category for non binary people. And I suppose I begin with these remarks because um, one of the things and the challenges this project faces and is very clear about facing is the idea of how to categorize people um, and the fact that uh, previous data is uh, along gender lines that are male and female. And that Mike now has included a non binary category because it raises all kinds of interesting um, ethical conundrums around uh, dead naming or also perhaps people not being able to come out as transgender because of the nature of the world in which we live. Ideally, we want to be in a place. um, Well, at least I do where a transgender woman is a woman and a transgender man is a man, Uh, but unfortunately we're not there. So that's one of the nuances um, that may need to be thought about in relation to this kind of capture um, uh, over the past 20 years, because of course we are talking about a period, as you said, Mike, that's very much related to changing social contexts, um, not just around migration, but also around um, various changes in marriage referendums and so forth. It's also I think extremely important and I really welcome your comments about uh, considering class and uh, ethnicity. And I'll begin with class first uh, because I think it's really important we all acknowledge that CMC and universities in which many of us operate are institutions and are locuses of power. So the categories with which uh, and through which they operate often reproduce those kinds of uh, power dynamics. Um, And we're living at a time when the humanities and the arts are under duress. And when it's becoming increasingly difficult for people to choose these as viable pathways because of their precarity. So for me to understand that somebody receives a commission as a woman is very important, but I also want to know if that woman is white. And I also want to know if she's third level uh, education. And I also want to know perhaps if she's middle-class because uh, these are the pathways through which we will generate um, our composers. And it's really then therefore vital that we consider uh, what imbalance are we addressing? Who are the people that get to be part of this dynamic of a balance? Um, And to what degree are these obviously shaped by class and in the context of an ever-changing Ireland um, ethnicity also, because as Laura pointed out, so only the feminist um, materials have already informed diversity policy for the Arts Council. And we have to be very expansive in our notion of diversity um, and inclusion. I saw this great thing uh, on Twitter of all places that says, and I'll read it out, diversity is a fact, equity rather than equality, by the way, is a choice. Inclusion is an action and then belonging is an outcome. And so um, in analyzing this data and in formulating um, not just commissions but also policy changes for the future um, I think we need a feminism that is uh, truly inclusive um, and that is very considered in all facets of uh, one's identity and that these things don't have to be incremental we don't just have to start first with uh, women in third level education for example but that we, we, we start right from from the get-go to include everyone, so these are kinds of things to think about. I'm timing myself here. I have, uh, I can speak until five minutes, so I'm at four. Um, yeah, I really want to bring home that point about, um, I guess, symbolic and cultural capital and its relationship with uh, Western art music and the degree to which people can access those pathways. I've done some research myself with Irish traditional music. And I, you know, I often wondered why minority, uh, those of minority backgrounds, weren't coming through in this musical form and made certain assumptions about why that might be the case. And in fact, it was proven incorrect. It was largely based on money and accessibility to instruments. So uh, as we look back and we start to uh, think forward and glean all of this information, which we can use for archival purposes, which we can use for commissioning purposes. I think that um, intention of uh, equity is really important and that inclusion is is, uh, in its totality. And that uneven score presumes by its very title that imbalance. Imagining how this uh, set of data, which is already, um, you know, we know it it has limitations, but it does offer so much from which to jump off. I'm a qualitative ethnographer, uh, but I value very much the quantitative uh, dimensions that we need for policy and to to persuade people that things need to change. People like to see things in numbers, but there's massive nuance in the numbers, so any idea that data is neutral or our categories of inquiry are neutral uh, needs to be continually interrogated. Uh, so I'm going to stop there, and I thank you both uh, very much for this really important and uh, provocative and thought-provoking uh, moment. And I'm actually really excited with the kinds of things that can be uh, done from this data. And so, if you've any questions after after um, the next speaker, I'm happy to to respond or expand on those. Thanks, um, Maureen, I'll hand back to you.
0: Great. Thank you very much, Aileen. I think we'll move on to our, our second respondent and then um, we'll open it to the floor again using the Q&A. So can I uh, please pass it over to, to roshi Thank you.
4: Um, Thanks very much, Karina, and thanks also to Michael and congratulations on the presentation, which I found really fascinating, and also to Laura and Sounding the Feminists generally on their work in campaigning for gender equality, uh, and also to Dr Aileen Delan for her comments just now, which again were incredibly thought-provoking. you know, this I, I, I do feel that this uh, data, this work that you're doing, Michael, is, is something that is very important in terms of getting a, a fuller picture of the, uh, I suppose, the, uh, the scene in, in, in terms of commissions and the, the track record in terms of commissions. I was struck when you were going through uh, the slides, just what an enormous task you have ahead of you and also the enormous amount of work that has already been done in the original scoping project. Uh, Because I know from my own point of view, as someone who has commissioned work, that it's not always a straightforward process. So just for example, uh, you know, to put on my finding uh, finding a voice hat, um, I know that we have commissioned work that has originated with finding a voice where, you know, I have uh, made a decision to commission composer or composers and approach those composers. Um, And then in other instances where performers have approached me and said we would like to or I would like to commission this composer to write at least for me you know so it's I think the whole area of, of commissioning is something that is it's is not a straightforward one and I was really struck when your slides were going up of just the the myriad of uh, organizations that are involved from the point of view of public funding and you know that's not even getting down the route of of privately funded commissions Uh, and also the the web between uh, performers and organizations uh, in terms of the the commissioning process and then how that links through to to the composers. Um, So one of the things that struck me um, in terms of uh, the, I suppose, the eventual data and I'm not sure if this is something that you have considered including um, and maybe decided not to because I said you already have an enormous amount of work ahead of you Um, but it was to do with the uh, I suppose the age of the composers uh, when they were commissioned Um, you know uh, it would be interesting I think to see whether it is the case that um, if we are going down these uh, sort of binary categories of of male and female uh, whether it is the case that male composers are commissioned at an earlier stage in their career or whether they are receive larger commissions at an earlier stage in their career uh, and this is something that I would be interested in um because you know I, I think it might be it might be a, I suppose something worth following up on um but as I said I don't know if, if this is something that you have already considered and decided against or whether the, the committee has decided against it um so again um I suppose you you mentioned as well well, the uh, the the uh, lack of records, and uh, you know, this is something I can I can empathise with because as a small arts organisation, I know that uh, that we uh, do our best to to keep records. But even though Finding Voices is, is only five years in, um, already I can see the, the the challenges in terms of keeping accurate records. And uh, your comments about the practical issues around uh, around staff changes. Um, uh, I think is 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 a really valid one. Um, I'm also really interested in the comment you made about uh, possibly uh, smaller organizations being more open or having a greater degree of uh, of uh, gender balance when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, commissioning composers. And again, I think this is something that I would be really interested um, you know to find out about at the end uh, at the uh, at the end of the research. And just finally to say that, you know, from the point of view of Finding a Voice, you know, I would be really happy to share the eventual research. I know you had spoken about having, uh, I suppose, just disseminating that eventual research and it is something that uh, Finding a Voice would be very interested in. Um, and would be very happy to, uh, to share uh, in whatever public uh, forum we can. Um, so just uh, in terms of finishing up, I know I'm coming up to my five minutes. Um, I haven't been as eloquent as Aileen in her, uh, in her response, but um, hopefully I have uh, I've, uh, thrown out a few things that might, uh, might be thought- provoking. I just want to say congratulations again and how interesting and important I think this research is. Thank you very much.
0: Great. Thank you so much, uh, Roisin. I think two very eloquent uh, responses there, both of them. Thank you. So I think um, what I might do now is we've got a couple of questions in. But Michael and Laura, if you want to respond, maybe firstly to uh, any the raised by um, Roisin and Aileen.
1: Um, well, I suppose. If, if, well, can, I, can I go first or do you want to say? Anything? Yeah,
2: please. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, thank you.
1: I, I mean, I just want to say thanks so much. Um, Well, to Michael, first of all, for presenting all the data, but also to Aileen and Roisin for those really thoughtful and engaged responses. Um, to the work and I'm, I'm so glad Aileen that you mentioned t- today being the transgender uh, day of visibility Um it I mean I, I was aware of it from social media but it just lit my mind and I'm so I'm so glad you brought it up and I think you're right it's such an important point that um, we need uh, a more inclusive language to recognize people of all genders and I also kind of yeah I share your Uh, disappointment that the census which will happen this week is is so um, kind of reductive and binary in its approach to how people are identified Um, and I was really interested as well to hear Roisin what you were saying about um, the similar kind of challenges uh, that that you faced in you know the work involved in programming for the Finding a Voice festival Um, I suppose from my perspective I am somebody who's Uh, as well, just been watching Finding a Voice grow each year. and I'm always so excited to see the programming uh, on it. So um, I just want to say thanks to both of you for all the work that you're doing and for your contributions today as well.
2: Thanks, Laura. Michael. Uh, Thanks, Laura. Um, Just, yeah, thank you very much, uh, both to uh, Aileen and Roshi for some really interesting points. Um, I think it's it was one of the reasons I wanted to include at the very beginning was uh, the definitions because it is obviously we want to be as inclusive as possible, uh, from the beginning and even in terms of how we're assessing um the gender of, uh the various different composers is obviously where uh, most of it is it's just you know use of pronouns in terms of how they're described uh most of them when uh, most composers when they um, register for a uh, CMC will have to. You know, uh, categorize himself as, as as male or female, or, um, uh, or I'm not sure if there's a non-binary uh, option there as well. But it will be interesting to, in, in terms of following up. Maybe Yvonne uh is, is here as well. Maybe she can follow up in the cre- chat about that. But we obviously want to make sure that that's um that that's there. I also want to follow up as well um on that in terms of at the moment I need to go back through every one of the, uh, the composers as well, and if the composers are currently uh, identifying um you know, in, uh, uh, as male or female to find out whether the, whether the year of the composition was was the same uh, instance as well. So that'll take a bit of time probably down the line once I get to the end of the data set right now. Uh, the class aspect and the age aspect is a really interesting uh, aspect. And the age one is something I've been thinking about. Uh, I certainly found so far more young um, male composers being, being, um, uh, being being given opportunities than then uh then women so i think that's something that will have to come into report. i think age will be important there uh to to reference it i think class is really interesting and it goes back it should the very the first couple of weeks of uh, the work i was doing um i was listening to a, a podcast that cmc has called amplify and amanda fury was uh giving a podcast where she was talking about you know uh i think dublin in particular was becoming you know a, a kind of almost it, it, you can't afford to live there's just this basic reality of the economic practicalities of living and you know the, the research of that is the practicalities aspects that i'm really hitting my head against so much in terms of the practicalities of the various different streaming aspects are the various different funding aspects all these things are um are usually important but also you know really just uh actually lost my train of thought there in a moment but that, but i think that's the Sorry, are you going to say something?
3: Yeah. I was just going to say, Mike. It's really interesting if you do add geography, or if you do add mm-hmm. a, like precarity or permanent employability. Because if you have the the wonder of tenure, for example, in the university, then you can apply for things, and it's not bread and butter um versus people who may simply not have the time or younger female composers who are perhaps in their 20s or early 30s who are also maybe trying to have families these are nuances that are very very hard to capture but mm-hmm. uh, in 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 getting some of these you allow somebody else to go ahead and do that research i'm trying to imagine somebody coming to your data set now and going oh i wish oh i wish
2: yeah
3: and 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 it's that so so yeah, yeah. How the people live who where do the most grants fall to and, and are people employed? Are they in permanent position?
2: Yeah. Could I be. think is yeah. Uh, that's key. I mean, it's something I spoke about uh, recently with um, uh, my last meeting with uh, with Yvonne. Uh, In terms of the data, I think the data will ultimately be framing, which will be the which will be probably every data setting going we'll to be releasing will have a, a substantial qualitative assessment that'll be underneath it. That'll really have to go into some details. Of these are the most interesting case studies that we found it's obviously not mentioning individuals in, in situations like this, but just to highlight uh, certain characteristics that we're just finding coming across and across. Um, and I think, that's, I think that's going to be the more interesting thing as we as I develop towards doing the, the, the third stage of the project. Um, but yeah, I mean, the class and ethnicity thing is something that, I, uh, the more I'm going into it, the more I think it needs to be part of what's of, of there and engage as well, so so thank you for that. Great, um, we've had
0: Yvonne Ferguson has joined us, I know that you have a for her Michael if um if wants to yeah to respond
2: hi Yvonne
5: hi I I'm finding this a little bit disconcerting because I okay see so, you now Oh, mm-hmm. OK, OK. Right. I was a little bit disconcerted there because I can only see the panelists on the screen and didn't know whether it was muted or unmuted. Yeah, um, it was a fantastic presentation, Laura and, and Michael. Um, obviously, I, I know a lot of it already, but it was great to just get a recap, actually, and see where we're at at this point now, uh, a few months into to phase two, and um, well, really stimulating to hear from, from Alien and Roisin as well um, with their with their feedback. Um, yeah, there was a specific question for me, I think. Um, I suppose it was the one about, um, that you had brought up, Roisin, about had we considered if if males are commissioned earlier in their career and for larger commissions i'm fairly sure we have discussed that michael um at some stage over the last few months because it's very interesting i mean this has been raised by the advisory committee as well in terms of where works are programmed if they're in a lunchtime concert um, or if they're on Friday night concert, getting you know a fair bit of more publicity and profile. So all those kind of nuances for for performance and, and commissioning were certainly given consideration to. Um, I suppose it's just to clarify on the data that is in the CMC FileMaker um, library database, we have not in representation applications asked for gender um, up to this point. Um, you know we're thirty year. P- 30 years plus in operation, so historically we have not done that. We have done, as you have pointed out, gone from pronouns, gone from people's names. Um, And that is how the box is ticked on our library database. It was not a self-declaration way of doing things. Uh, We have updated our representation application form to include. uh, we, We didn't feel that we were at uh, that it was appropriate for us to have a kind of a number of tick boxes. And it was the first thing I noticed about the census as well, um, that there, there were only two. Um, so we have uh, a, a line, you know, in our application form along with date of birth address and it says gender and it's optional. So people can actually write there what they want to write. There is no selection of boxes to tick. That's what we have done. In our recent application form, um, that's how we are proposing to address it. But historically, yes, we've done. I think probably the same as other organisations. Um, you know, so just to to kind of clarify that, and you know, it is that historic data that Michael is working with from our library database. Right.
0: Thanks, Yvonne for for uh, for joining us there. Uh, short notice i mean in some ways in an ideal world we wouldn't need to you know the gender would be relevant but unfortunately it really is uh, uh relevant in this situation um if there's any questions there's one a couple of questions there in the q and might just read out there's one from john brady there what a great project a question on ethnicity often we focus on recent irish migration when discussing ethnicity but i think it's imperative to know how many people women especially from the traveler or minker community are included here um if you've time to look at ethnicity Have you encountered any traveller women composers, Um, gender, ethnicity and class are obviously very much inextricably um, linked inextricably for traveller women?
2: Um, Hi, John. Um, As of yet, I haven't, but I haven't gone into uh, exact detailing of every composer so far. So that's something that may uh, emerge uh, during the research. Mainly what I'm doing right now is just really just going by um you know by pronouns and that becomes my identifying aspect of the, of the composers obviously i'm not aware of um so that you know that becomes the way right now but it's something i would like to certainly look into as research goes on and it would be interesting too and i think this is one of the reasons why I want to be very very uh broad with the research scope as well to include smaller festivals and smaller um you know commissioning bodies as well because i think that will ultimately um i you know i i think there, if there is a stream of revenue that'll be in the in the, well, it, perhaps it will. So that's why I want to be uh, uh, included as much as possible. But so certainly so something to think of. Thanks, John. And thanks, uh, Yvonne, for coming in there as well for clarifying that also. Thank you.
0: Great. So if any other questions, please put them in the q and I have one uh, question, Michael, you mentioned about um, so the category of, of funding or, or the fee. Is that one of the categories that's proving? elusive to to get hold of and i was actually thinking about then the fee per minute of uh, of composition you know how that how that actually compares or, or works out
2: well, one of the initial ideas that my, myself and vaughn were doing when we were discussing this is asking whether or not uh, the um the commissioner used the cmc's uh, advice so the CMC has uh, a, a advice for our commissioning agents, and that became a kind of a, a way for us to, for them to tick the box whether they did or not, and then we could calculate the fees uh, accordingly. Um, that's you know that's that's been uh, given us some positive feedback there, but we're also finding that that you know we really you know, I suppose it is a question of we're all ultimately wanting to find out is how much individual composers were being paid, whether male whether whether men are being paid more than women, and you know this is the key uh, that's to get there. We're also anticipating that will be the information that will be less forthcoming because obviously that's going um, to be protected, um, you know, via GDPR. And also just, you know, uh, various different organizations and individual composers may not want that information to be, um, as we pull out there. So, uh, again, back to this conversation that uh, Stephanie and Yvonne had, we we're anticipating that any of that information that becomes available will only be uh, accessible um, to myself and Yvonne. As part of uh, as part of the work, and it won't be made available. Um, uh, you know any any of the individuals. It'll ultimately be uh, added up by me, if you will, and then kind of brought as as data. But it's trying to get that wording right to make sure that when we send on to the various different organisations, that this is what we that this is what we're looking for, that they won't be put off by that fee free bracket. You know, that's the that's the thing. So again, I'd appreciate Simon's advice on that in terms of how to approach this particular issue in terms of um you know um you know is that is that something that we should be concerned of in terms of people might be you know there may be may not be for you know they may be forecoming more forecoming than i'm anticipating but yeah
4: um yeah i mean i know that uh, from the point of view of finding voice we've always used the cmc's guidelines as as being the, the you know the jumping off point for uh, for commissions but obviously within even those guidelines it's per minute but it also depends on the seniority of the composer and again that's something that you know that it's up to both the organization and the composer themselves to decide whether you know what at what stage of their career they're at um and sometimes you know it does come down to budgets uh, and 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 other things and and but but certainly the the cmc guidelines would be you know would be our starting point um i think yeah i think that that is that is going to be i suspect that it is going to be a challenge to Mm -hmm. to get kind of accurate information on because um you, you know particularly if it is the case that Uh, You know, organizations or public funding bodies uh, feel that they have, uh, you know, maybe uh, under, you know, paid under the the going rate. You know, it's the equivalent of putting up your hands and saying, you know, I'm not paying the kind of living wage to my employees. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, and so the my. Suspicion is that the organisations that have paid a fair rate uh, will be forthcoming with the information, and that the ones that haven't will uh, drag their heels and point to GDPR and um, and other uh, uh, other sort of ways of not disclosing the information. But. Um, but I mean, I think it is great that the eventual um, research will feed into a sort of a, a, a re, a, you know, a, a new set of guidelines for CMC, because I, I, I'm not sure how long the existing set of guidelines have been there, Yvonne, it's a it's a while, I think. Um, a long time, routine, a very long time. Uh, uh, I mean, they probably are. I think we've always kind of gone for the upper end because of the fact that we felt, okay, maybe they're just a little bit out of date. Um, And again, it depends on the scale of the commission as well. You know, if you're asking somebody for, you know, for a longer piece for, you know, a, a greater number of performers, um you know and you've got a maximum that you're allowed to apply for you might kind of agree on something that is not quite the price per minute um as per the cnc guidelines but that you know i think that does still reflect a a fair amount for the the work involved um but anyway that's just my my kind of tuppence, hate me worse on that
2: actually i wish i mean the other aspects i mean if you know, this is the, the three key parameters will ultimately be you know scale of commission, you know fees and duration. And it, you know, if we fall back to duration and scale, I, you know, I, my 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 concern is even at this stage that it'll it'll somehow be, um, uh, you know, it it'll weaken the project by ultimately not having fees there. So it's just really trying to get that wording right to try to make sure. And again, so far we you know we've had the organizations that we have spoken to. There's. Um, and again, this is where CMC uh, becomes crucial. Whether it. it's, it's it's that uh, door opening to be able to have that kind of, um, you know, friendly introduction at, at the beginning, and that's why we wanted to you know correlate uh, as much information for them, for us to really just to be um, to really engage in a kind of partnership with these organisations, and to you know to assure them that the information has been given is for is for the betterment of the industry, which will ultimately you know, uh, improve their organisations as well. So.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, you, as you say, I mean, that would be a really crucial piece of information. And I think that, you you know, the fact that you're making sure that that information will not be publicly available, that it will just be between yourself and Yvonne, that then you'll be sort of averaging it out or doing them, you know, doing the sums, but that, you know, what everybody has paid will not be made publicly available, I think would be, would be very important in terms of reassuring uh, organizations and institutions. So, yeah.
0: Great thanks, so we still have a few more minutes left if anybody has um, anything they want to ask Aileen, I don't know if there's anything else you want to respond to. uh, uh, Since.
3: Not at all, I suppose I I would just want to um, reiterate the point that as we do any kind of um, investigation or any kind of data collecting to to really realize that data itself is never neutral. And that our categories that we even bring to the table that we suppose are the important categories um, often have been informed by kind of institutional imperatives that we haven't reflected upon. And and that it's a great time not to be critical, but to be. um, You know, really thoughtful about one's mission as an institution and one's mission as a researcher and and the kinds of uh, social change and for whom we want to bring these things about so you know reflecting on everything from composition, genre, to to how does one kind of come to the CMC? How do people find their way to those pathways? How did those who were involved know to apply for these things? Because I know Culture Ireland in particular right now is really trying to reach out to different communities to say, actually, we want you to come and get funding from us. So how do we reach you? And, and I think work like this is hugely significant in, in that respect, because not everybody will at any point consider themselves to label themselves as a composer. Yes, it's a professional thing, but it's also and sometimes aspirational for people um, and sometimes just seeded commissions targeted at younger women. For example, if it's lots of young men who are uh, getting commissions, or a very specific commission for someone who maybe isn't literate in contemporary forms of music notation or other ways, but can put something multimedia together, how does that then bring in a greater and a broader sort of inclusion into, into, um, into where we want to be? So I guess, um, you know, always thinking about uh, the power dynamics in, in what we do. Um, and the the privileges we come with ourselves, even here today, and um, the kind of knowledge we have, the cultural capital we have, and the ways then in which um, it's just about acknowledging and understanding they inform our discourse, our practice and our categories of understanding, then we can we can, you know, um, you know, like Yvonne is saying, 30 years of historical data, this that's what it was. There's absolutely it's wonderful that it is there. Now why was it gathered that way? What might we learn from that? And I think Yvonne has explained that really, really well. And so in generating Mike in generating this database, you're actually in many ways generating an ideology. Uh, no pressure. Um so so you know you're 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 going to create a, a font of knowledge or at least of types of knowledge that other people will come to and ask specific questions about just because of what's there and so continually keeping the aspiration of sounding the feminist which is about um inclusion equity uh balance uh fairness uh visibility all of those kinds of things if we can embody those in our practices um we you know we'll do really well
0: Fantastic. Thank you, um, Aileen. I think that's a really, uh, a really important uh, point actually for, for all of us in whatever research uh, we're doing, wherever we are, and I think that's, that's maybe a fitting way to, to start to bring this to an end. I just think there's a comment there from, from um, Audrey Walt. She says, we collectively need to use the new comment box on the census to say that there should have been more thought put into the gender question. I think that's something we can uh, certainly all, all agree on. Um, so I think at this point, we're nearly out, out of time. Uh, so. This has been such a, a huge um, uh, learning curve, I think, for, uh, for for everyone here today. It's been really, really uh, useful. So I'd like to thank uh, Michael and Laura first of all for their um, presentations, uh, and and then to to Aileen and to Roisin for their responses and really thought provoking uh, responses as well. And I guess we just look forward to um, wish you well, Michael, with the the task ahead. I mean, it's an incredibly uh, complex as you've outlined the kind of complexity is just in gathering the information and then in categorizing it uh, as well so we really really look forward to the um the results of that in september and when it's disseminated so thank you all very much